Ephesians chapter number 4. This evening, we are looking at the honest couple, and uh, this has to do with communication. And Ephesians chapter 4, I'll begin reading in verse number 17. Ephesians 4 and verse 17. The Bible says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness with, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, according to deceitful us, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which, after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry... And sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. How is your communication going at home? I want us to think about um, the difficulty of communication and, uh, and what God provides us to help us with uh, interpersonal communication. And uh, there's three parts. As you have your little worksheet there, you see a one, two, and a three. And I want to share just some thoughts about communication for a few moments this evening. It's obvious that this, the honest couple weren't communicating very well. Uh, they were not being honest with one another. Uh, he wasn't being honest with her. She wasn't being honest with him. Uh, and their communication was on a very surface level that did not get to the reality of who they were as people, what they thought, and what they really felt in their hearts. And so it's important to be able to analyze uh, how we're doing in communication. So let's jump into this. Um, why is communication difficult? And here's some obstacles to overcome in communication. One of the obstacles uh, in communication, 
obstacles to good communication that have to be overcome is the selfish natures that we all have, kind of a leftover from our unsaved nature uh, and the selfishness that we have in our own in our own hearts and minds. And it's important, I think, to recognize and own up to the problems of our sinful nature and the carryovers that that has into our Christian life. There are some key Bible books that talk about the transition of salvation that introduces us to a period of growth in which God wants to change us from the selfish people that we had been into selfless people. And uh, I put on your little worksheets there, I think, uh, yes, uh, three passages of Scripture that are profound in recognizing that transition. Each of these uh, passages, the Romans, the Ephesians, and the Colossians passages, uh, all have some strong similarities. These are some of the what we call the church epistles. These are letters that God inspired a human author to record and send to a local church so the members of those churches could be confronted with the, the, um, the doctrine, the theology of New Testament living, of Christian living. Each of these church epistles begins with a pretty substantial doctrinal section revolving around the doctrine of salvation. How is it that God saves a sinner? And then in the middle of these portions of Scripture, God stops and says, now that you've got saved, here's the transition into a new life, a life living like Christ as a Christian. And so in each of these uh, church epistles, we're, we're confronted with the reality that there is a change that occurs in our lives at the point of salvation that introduces us to a process of developing a Christ-like character in our lives. And communication is one of the realms in which we begin to develop a Christ-like character in the way we communicate one with another. Now, each of these passages are unique in outlining this change, but I want you to see it in Ephesians. That's kind of the text passage for tonight. And in Ephesians chapters 1 to 3, we have the doctrine of salvation, of how God saves an individual, how Christ died on the cross for us, how that we are sinners and could never earn our way to heaven, how we're hopelessly lost without Christ, but then Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sin. And now in the Ephesians passage, that doctrinal section on how God saves us ends at the end of chapter 3, and chapter 4 opens up and says, I therefore... Because you're now saved, because Jesus Christ has come into your life, rescued you from your sin, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. In other words, now that you've been saved, live like it. And he keys on the word walk 
in the book of Ephesians. He talks about walking here in chapter 4. And when you go through the next couple of chapters, you'll find the word walk over and over again applied to a different area of Christian living. He says, now you need to walk like a Christian in this area of your life. And in this area of your life. And in this area of your life, your life must change as a Christian. And when we allow the selfish nature to cast its shadow into our Christian experience, we can find ourselves having problems with areas of our life like communication. And so we're encouraged to live up to our new life in Christ. He says in the passage where we began reading in verse number 17, he said, we're no longer to walk like we walked when we were unsaved. He said, don't walk like other Gentiles walk. He said, in the vanity of their mind, how they think. And in verse number 19, to work all uncleanness with greediness, how they live, how we live, how we think and how we act needs to be entirely different after we get saved. And he talks about that in verse number 20 from the positive perspective that we have not learned we have not so learned Christ. In other words, we didn't learn in our Christian experience to live like the old self. We've not so learned Christ, but rather we've learned that we put off that former manner of living and that we put on the new man, which is created with God as the pattern. In other words, we're to live like God. We're to be like God. We're to begin to take on the character of God in righteousness and in true holiness. And so the Bible tells us that one of the obstacles to good communication is to fail to grow in Christ, but to hang on to some of the selfish characteristics of the old life before we got saved. And so that's an obstacle we have to overcome. We have to begin to appropriate the power of a changed life made available to us in our salvation by putting on the new man, accepting the character of Christ and begin to allow the character of Christ to mold us into his image that we might be like Christ. So the change is possible because of our salvation. And we call that growth, growing in Christ. There's another obstacle that can mess our mess up our communication, and that is family training. Some say, well, I'm just like Dad. Dad was the silent type. Dad never talked. Dad didn't communicate. I'm just like Mom. Mom always flew off the handle and just said whatever was on her mind. I'm just like Mom. You know, we learn from the environment in which we were raised. But that's no excuse for passing that on to another generation. Because... Of the potential of change in our salvation, we can overcome the weaknesses of our parents' generation that we grew up under. And aren't you glad that there's always the possibility of improving upon the past generations? Now, we appreciate our parents, but no parent is perfect. And don't you want your children to improve upon what you've lived out in front of them? And maybe grow in Christ and be able to be more like Christ than what you have been. We want every generation 
to be able to overcome family example. Sometimes people grew up in a family where parents didn't communicate well. Uh, communication was harsh. It was belittling. It was negative. It tore down the spouse rather than being communication that was warm and affectionate, positive and uplifting. And that can perpetuate itself from generation to generation. That's an obstacle we have to overcome. We have to be honest that our parents weren't perfect, but Jesus is perfect. And if I'm being conformed to his image, I can improve upon the past. So we don't want to perpetuate bad habits into another generation. And then another obstacle is, is whether we feel like communicating. Why bother trying to communicate with my spouse? My spouse doesn't understand me. My spouse doesn't hear me. Uh, why even bother trying? I don't feel like communicating. That's an obstacle we have to overcome. Because if the Word of God is true, and it is, then we're commanded to communicate and to communicate wisely. And so we don't have the option to just say, I don't feel like communicating. You know, there's a lot of differences in the way men and women typically communicate, kind of stereotype to gender. Uh, and it's not always true, but it is more often true than it's not true that men talk for the purpose of fixing things. And women talk for the purpose of venting frustrations. And anyone that's dealt with, uh, with uh, spouses in a close relationship, we know that there are differences, there are often differences in the way we communicate or the purpose for which we communicate. And the sooner we learn that we don't always communicate for the same reason or to try to accomplish the same thing, the better off we are. Men often will communicate for the purpose of expressing information, while women will often communicate for the purpose of expressing feelings. Again, that's not always true of any particular man or any particular woman, but it's more often true than it's not true. I remember I was studying a little bit about human psychology and the differences that often uh, become patterns for the way uh, men and women communicate and why they communicate and what they try to accomplish through their communication. And I remember I was, uh, I was reading about this, this, uh, the rea th th this concept that men are fixers and they often communicate for the purpose of finding out the problem and let's fix it. While women will often just communicate because they want to vent their frustrations. They don't want anything fixed. They just want to vent their frustrations. And they want their spouse to enter into their frustration with them and understand how they feel because they communicate to express feelings, not to express information. And my wife and I were getting ready to go somewhere and she was doing her hair and she said to me, she said, uh, Mike, and, and, and she, she told me of something that had happened that day. I don't remember what it was, but it was something that had happened. It was an uh, interpersonal kind of a thing that had happened between her and somebody else, and she was telling me about it, and I opened, I mean, it was, it was simple. I mean, the solution was obvious. It was so simple to fix it. And so, and so I opened my mouth to tell her how to fix it, and I caught myself just before I spoke, because I'd just been studying this and thinking about this. I caught myself, and I stopped myself, and I said, oh, I am so sorry. That must have been hard. 
And she put her brush down and she turned and looked at me like she'd never seen me before in her life. And she said, thank you for understanding how I feel. I quickly got into another room out of earshot where I could just bust a gut and laugh. And just I couldn't believe it. You know, it was just a stereotype. I mean, it was a textbook situation. I mean, my brother, Sam, up in Pennsylvania, pastor of a church up there, one of the pastors at Valley Forge, uh, he and I had been talking about this, and, and he and I had been reading some things about this together. And, and the next day, I called him up and I said, Sam, i got to tell you what happened with Betty and I yesterday. And I told him this story. He laughed. He said, the same thing happened to Susan and I last week. And I learned that the reality is that men are fixers and women are feelers. And one of the things that is necessary to overcome an obstacle in communication is to recognize that not everyone communicates for the same reason. And not everyone are trying to accomplish the same thing. That's why we have to understand our spouses. That's a kickback to last week. Understand, accept, then change me to be able to better understand and better live live with my spouse. So, feelings. Another obstacle. So, those are some of the obstacles we have that we have to overcome in being able to develop good communication uh, uh, techniques and and, uh, communication ability. Now, here's the second part. What, What does God provide us to be able to improve on our communication skills? And this passage in Ephesians is one of the most turned to passages of Scripture to deal with communication, it, it just kind of flows in and out of communication uh, throughout these verses after having introduced the fact that now that we're saved, we need to get rid of our old bad habits. We need to stop thinking like the unsaved person we used to be. We need to stop acting like the unsaved person we used to be. We need to put off the old man with all of its habits and all of its stuff. And we need to begin to develop Christ-likeness, putting on the new man which was created with God as its pattern in righteousness and true holiness. And then he began to get practical. He said, now this is what that looks like. And here's six statements. Number one, bad habits must be replaced with good habits. And we see that in verses 22 to 24. I've already read those. Put off the old, put on the new. It is necessary that we recognize bad communication habits in our life that are carryovers from the selfish, unsaved life, thinking about ourselves, how we feel, what we want, what makes us happy. We need to get rid of the bad habits, and we need to put in their place the new man, caring, appreciating, doing for, instead of the selfish. We need to get rid of the old, we need to put on... Some good habits in place of the old. And then number two, honesty is non-negotiable. This is kind of where the little skit came in this evening. Verse number 25, the Bible says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, that's written to a church family about any human relationships. We're, we're members of the same church family. Let's... but. That is so true. If it's true of a church family, it's even more true of a, of a, a, a husband-wife family. We're members one of another. We're one flesh. The two shall be one, the Bible says. Lying, it, 
Lying has no place in communication among spouses. Honesty is a non-negotiable. And the little skit pointed out in a silly way how that sometimes communication hides what I really think, what I really feel, what I really want, because I'm focused on me. I'm focused on, I want to get in the car to watch the game. I want this. I want that. And, and so my communication hides the reality of what's really going on in my heart. That's, that's bad. That, that, that is a killer for good, godly communication. God says, lie not one with another. This just isn't good. We need to speak truth with our spouse. And be honest and talk about how we feel and talk about what's really going on in our heart so that we can begin to understand one another and build a relationship based on understanding and clarity instead of lies and, and cover-ups. And so honesty is non-negotiable. Number three, anger gives the devil a foothold in our homes. Verse number 26 and 27 being angry and sin not, that tells us very clearly that there is some anger that is not sinful. Anger is a gift from God. God gets angry. Jesus got angry. Anger is a good defense mechanism. It has a proper role in our lives. But we should never sin in our anger. Our anger should never be directed at a person. Our anger should always be directed at Something that is compromising health and safety and well-being, not a person. We're to be angry. There are times for that. But we should never, in our anger, sin against our spouse by attacking them in our anger. The Bible says we should let the sun go down on our wrath. We should, we should deal with things quickly. As soon as possible. Because if we don't, we give the devil a foothold. The next verse, you'll notice the punctuation. It's the same sentence. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Why? The, the, the anger directed at my spouse gives the devil a foothold to attack and destroy our family. The Bible talks at some length in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 about what happens when, when we don't deal with things in our relationship. And that bitterness, that anger begins to, begins to fester. We just cover it up. We, we just sweep the dirt under the rug and ignore it and wait for it to go away. And then it festers and it gets worse. And then the Bible says at some point in time, it breaks through the surface. It erupts to the surface. And the Bible says many are defiled thereby. You, you know, anger and bitterness left in a relationship always has a bad ending. And it can hurt so deeply. And so anger must be dealt with. We have to learn how to handle anger in our lives and our relationships. It'll destroy our communication 
and it will leave in its place Satan wrecking havoc in our home. Angry communication is a horrible thing. And then in verse number 28, in verse number 28, the focus here is on, on how you view yourself and others. The reference is, let him that stole steal no more. The one who steals, steals for what purpose? Because he wants what somebody else has got. He's thinking about himself. He's selfish. I want that. And they stole and they steal. And God says, no, don't do that anymore. Now that you're saved, don't be focused on yourself. Don't be taking something for you. But rather, get a job, work hard, earn money, so you can give it away. That's a novel concept. Work a job so that you'll have the resources to be able to give to other people who have needs. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now notice the change in focus. Instead of taking what you've got because I want it for me, now I am creating wealth so I can give it away to somebody else who needs. Notice the change in focus. And applying that to husband and wife and communication, concern for my spouse must supersede concern for myself. I can't be focused on what I can get from my spouse. This is going to impact communication to a large degree. I can't be a... I can't be a taker in life. I have to be a giver in life. I have to focus on my spouse and what they need. This revolutionizes communication. Because now communication is not how to get from my spouse what I want or what I need. And I'm communicating for the purpose of getting something for myself. But rather, I'm communicating for the purpose of understanding my spouse. So that I can better meet the needs of my spouse. And give to them that which will enrich my spouse's life instead of communicating for the purpose of getting from my spouse that which I want for myself. And then number five, verse number 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. This is speaking about, uh, about the, the importance of being nicer to people than they deserve for us to be. We're to be the communication that proceeds out of our mouth should build them up, not tear them down. That which proceeds out of your mouth is to be that which is good to the use of edifying, verse 29 says, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I, I still remember reading that verse with understanding the first time early in my ministry and realizing the power of this verse. Grace is unmerited favor, right? Grace is something that you don't deserve. That's granted to you. Someone has been gracious to you. God has been gracious to you. You, you have received something from someone that you don't deserve. Now he's talking about grace in the realm of communication. And he says we need to communicate. That which proceeds out of our mouth. To build somebody up. Saying nicer things than they really deserve. Being gracious in what we say to them. Being nicer than what they deserve. That's the polar opposite of, well, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. How dare them do such and so. I'll tell them what I think. I'm going to give them what they deserve. I'm, I'm going to, I'll, I'll deal with them. 
And God says, no, 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 no. What proceeds out of our mouth should always be for the purpose of building somebody else up. Even saying nicer things to them than they deserve to have said to them. That's grace. And then finally, make sure forgiveness replaces vengeance. Look at verse number 30. Verse 30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed under the day of redemption. By the way, in all of this, when we don't communicate properly and we don't relate properly to one another with a gracious spirit, kindness, that pains the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, right? If we're saved, the Holy Spirit was God's down payment. When I got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of my body. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye have of God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. The Holy Spirit came to live inside my body. The Bible says that that was God's down payment. It was the earnest, the down payment, guaranteeing us that God's going to finish the transaction at a later date. And that later date will be when I stand before him and enter into heaven. And then my salvation is complete. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me, which means he's captive to everything I do, to participate in everything I say. To be a part of everything I do. And when we don't relate properly to one another, we're unkind to one another, we force the Holy Spirit to be involved in our treatment of one another. And that grieves Him. The word grieve is a word for pain. We cause Him pain. He hurts to be put through that. And so, grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed under the day of redemption. But let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And what goes in its place? Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Here's the number sixth. Statement under what help does God provide? He says, make sure forgiveness replaces vengeance. It's not getting getting my pound of flesh for what you did to me. It's not getting back at you for what you did or what you said. It's not vengeance, anger, bitterness, wrath, clamor, getting even with people. But rather it's forgiveness. It's kindness. It's tenderheartedness. Because that's how God dealt with us when he saved us. And I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad God was gracious and merciful to me. And God says, treat one another that way. And let forgiveness take the place and replace vengeance in your personal relationship. These are six communication points. They either deal directly, specifically with communication between people or they deal with something that is applicable to our communication. Powerful stuff. By the way, I was, we have a little book. We have different things in the bookstore that have to do with counseling and have to do with personal problems, personality problems, and personal relationship problems. One of them is a book by Stuart Scott, A Biblical Perspective of Communication and Conflict Resolution. I read it again last night. And uh, if it's something that you want to study more about, communication and conflict resolution... 
between people. It's a good read. It's a short read. It's excerpted from the book, The Exemplary Husband. It's also in the bookstore. Let me wrap up with uh, pointing out the third part of, of the, uh, if you'll hand out some practical guidelines. Some, just some simple practical guidelines. Simple practical guideline number one is listen. Listen with your eyes and ears. How many of you have taught your children, listen to me with your eyes. Give me your eyes. Listen to me with your eyes. You know, that's good for adults, too. That's good practical advice. Listen to your spouse with your eyes as well as your ears. We've often recognized that God gave us two ears and one mouth so we would listen more and talk less. The Bible encourages us to speak less throughout the book of Proverbs, the book of James as well. Speak less and listen more. One of the greatest communicative, practical guidelines is learn how to be a good listener. And that means listening with understanding of what my spouse is trying to express. Not listening while in my subconscious I'm formulating a good rebuttal. That's not listening. I don't listen for the purpose of figuring out how to, how to answer back and re, rebut the points that my spouse is making. No, I listen with my eyes and ears to understand my wife's concerns, to understand what she's trying to express. You know, one of the great practical things to do at a point like that, and that is to be able to say to your spouse, I want to make sure I, I understand what you conveyed to me, but I'm not sure I understand. So let me put it in my own words and say it back to you, and then could you let me know whether or not I really do understand your heart. And if you can put it in your own words and your spouse agree that you do understand what your spouse said, you have communicated well. Listen. And listen with your heart to understand what it is that your spouse is feeling. And then the third thing is empathize. Empathize with the emotions of your spouse. What your spouse is feeling. Because that's valuable. In understanding my spouse. So that I can better accept my spouse for who she is. For how she feels about this subject. So that I can begin to accept her just the way she is. Or accept him just the way he is. And then to pray that God will change me to make me better equipped to minister to my spouse in the way that God would have me to minister to my spouse. Listen, understand, and empathize with the feelings of your spouse. And that will go a long way to creating good communication in your home. And now my wife would like me to go to the altar. <laughs> And promise God that I'm going to do everything I just preached. I heard John MacArthur once say, he said, do you not realize my wife actually expects me to live out everything I preach? He said, God holds me accountable to preach the whole counsel of God. Give me a break. <laughs> we preachers are human too, eh? And, uh, and I haven't always communicated well. Go ahead. Say amen.
Communication is a lifelong subject of study and interpersonal relationships. But if we can learn how to improve just one or two things to just just make an improvement, it will go a long way to being able to have a good and a healthy marriage.